Will you take your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 1. For those visiting with us, we expect to start a study in the book of Colossians in two weeks. The last two weeks have been used to prepare ourselves for our week of prayer, and this morning is the final introduction into that preparation. Nehemiah chapter 1, reading the first seven verses. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, now it happened in the month Kishlev, in the 20th year, while I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanani, one of my brothers, and some men from Judah came, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and had survived the captivity, and about Jerusalem. They said to me, the remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach, and the wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned, fasting and praying before the God of heaven. I said, I beseech you, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear now be attentive and your ear eyes open to the prayer, to hear the prayer of your servant, which I am praying before you day and night on behalf of the sons of Israel, your servant confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we have sinned against you. I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. Father, this is your word, not mine. You have spoken because you have told men and women to write. And so help us to hear your voice through the voice of a man today, not the voice of a man telling people what they should do, but repeating what God says he would have us to do. And so may the words of my mouth and the meditation in our hearts be acceptable to you through Jesus Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. St. Paul, writing to the Romans, said this, that all the things that were written before were written for our learning so that we, through the patience of the Scriptures, might be encouraged as we read the Scriptures and as we live our Christian life. There are many lessons to be learned from Nehemiah. But I think the greatest of the lessons to be learned from this man is to see that every experience he had 
every encounter he had, every problem he faced, he never began with a discussion about his problem. He immediately went to God. At every point, there is not a place in Nehemiah's life that he did not approach, make prayer his priority all through the scriptures. This is true also of our Lord. We were talking about that this morning in our class. That Jesus never made decisions, but as the Son of God, he made decisions after he prayed, not before. We're living busy lives, are we not? Our schedules are so full that the thing that usually takes the back seat in our lives are things like prayer, the reading of the scriptures. For the simple reason we feel the tyranny of the urgent, that we have to get this done or we have to go here, we have to do this. I, I, I think... I said this because I'm almost embarrassed to say it. I'm one of those guys who thought I never wanted a cell phone. I thought at least I want to go where people won't know where I am. I want to go without, you know, somebody was telling me, I saw it years ago, but it, it was on a, program, um, um, America's Funniest Video, that this priest was conducting a wedding and his cell phone rang. And it wasn't so bad that it rang. What was bad that he answered it? <laughs> and he, he said this, can't talk with you right now, but I'll call you later. What would you do to me if I were conducting your wedding and I did that to you? You go to the justice of the peace to finish the work. But we are busy people. So the other day, I was in a hurry. And I left home without my phone. And you know, I was in distress for the next two hours. What if someone calls me? What if Lois needs me? What if Christopher calls? In, in fact, interestingly enough, this doesn't have anything to do with the message right now. But I was walking in Safeway. I think it was Safeway, one of the stores the other day. And this woman was talking, and I was about to answer her. Because <laughs> I thought she was talking to me. But she was on her cell phone. And I am, am I ever glad I didn't answer? Because she would wonder, what kind of a weirdo is this guy with this? We live with that, that, that tension. How to live in a society that is constantly changing and yet to keep our spiritual equilibrium where it needs to be. We live with that tension. As we get ready for our week of prayer, I thought, that a word from God's word about prayer might be most useful. That's why I've chosen this book. 
Because Nehemiah is talking about service and ministry and worship, but it is not without preceding every aspect of it with prayer. Let's consider, first of all, his environment. His environment. Listen to what he says in chapter 1, verse 1. That he was, uh, by the way, the month, uh, the, the, the month, Chislev, is relating to our November or December. So it's, it's, it's winter time. And he is with the king, Artaxerxes. And he's in the capital city. Susa was the, like the winter retreat for the king. That's where Nehemiah was. And there are good reasons for him to tell us where he was. Because you see, the city of Susa was an ancient city that had been through different situations and it had developed to the place where it became a city of beauty. But it was a city, if you please, by the way, this city is, is close to Iran, our present-day Iran. That gives you some idea of where, where it was. It was a religious state. It was almost a kind of what we call a theocracy. A theocracy is a land, a nation, that is ruled by religious convictions. But the God here is not the God of the Bible. It was a God, a God that was, was made, made by man. And it's, it's like making a statue and putting it on a shelf and then worshiping it. The whole, the whole land was this, this kind of a land. The buildings were made with stones brought from foreign lands. It, it would be like, if you please, going to Japan and seeing two sides of that country. The religion is Buddhism in Japan. But at the same time, you have a progressive city on this side and you have all the buildings and everything and you're, you're awed by what you see. It would be like going to Taiwan. country that is bubbling with, 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 with progression. Look, if you please, at HGTV and you'll see what kind of a buildings you have there. So it was not a backward place. It was a place of beauty. It was a place of religion. It was, it was a place of commerce. It was a place of trade. So he was in a bubbling city. But I want you to understand his function there. What was Nehemiah doing there? In verse 11, it says, He was a cupbearer. Now that sounds like a like shoe shining. <laughs> a cup bearer. Do you mean you bear the cup? No. A cup bearer was one who had it was like a private secretary to the president of the United States. The last person for the president to see and talk to about anything, this is what a cup bearer did, but only he did it with food. If the king was to drink anything, he had to taste it first before the king drank it. If the king was to eat anything, he had to taste it first to make sure that it wasn't poison. Well, listen, he is a Jew. He's not a Persian. 
but somehow the character of Nehemiah was such that he came to be trusted, to be trusted by the enemy to say that the food is okay, the drink is okay, you can have it. That was his function. How he got that job, we're not told. How he rose to that position, we're not told. But my friends, I want you to know that God has a way of putting his servants in places where you least expect them to rise to the place where they become officials in the government. He did it with Daniel in Babylon. He did it with Joseph in Egypt. The unique way in which God can work. Something had to be done about where Nehemiah was from. Listen to the text. And it came to pass, or now it happened. That phrase is full of meaning. Now it came to pass. It means by by coincidence. And we don't like that word, do we? Coincidence. I hear people say, no, I don't use that word. Listen, if you look in the dictionary, you know what coincidence means? To bring the pieces together. A coincidence means coining, coining every point. And the scripture says that God had Nehemiah where he was, and at a certain point, at a certain day, during a certain month, that something was going to happen that was going to change Nehemiah's future. Now it came to pass. He didn't plan it. He didn't make arrangements for his brothers to come, for a delegation to come from Jerusalem. But they came. And they came just at that time. Reminds me of the story I heard Rabbi Zacharias telling when he was in Vietnam several years ago. Said they had a, just before they got to a certain point, their, their jeep broke down. And they looked in the distance and they saw another jeep coming and thought, all right, We're going to get some help. But this jeep just passed by and didn't even look at them. After that jeep passed, they got there started. And as they were driving and driving, they they came to a certain point on the road where a bomb exploded and destroyed the jeep that wouldn't pick them up. Now it came to pass. Now it happened. And my friends, let me suggest to you, I do not know how God is going to move us to do the exceeding great exploits for God in Sodoville. I'm not expecting God to tell us to go to Albany or to go to Corvallis. Or to go to Salem. Right where we are, there are, now we came to pass in our lives. I don't know how. I can't tell you I'm not God. But God moves in mysterious ways his wonders to perform. 
And Nehemiah was, was minding his own business, as it were. But his business, my friends, was more than being a cupbearer. His business, he was not a priest. He didn't come from some high position that, that made him connecting to the priest, priestly uh, um, tribe of Israel. He was just a, an ordinary citizen. He had found a good job in Persia. And he did it with excellence. But in the midst of that, there was gnawing out on his heart the fact that, that God has other purposes for my life. And so when his brother came, and when the delegation came from Judah, immediately Nehemiah asked the question. The question. What was the question? How are the people? I call this the priority of inquiring. He, you know, I was listening to someone preaching on this. And almost everyone I have heard, I think I've said this before, but it bears repeating. Almost everyone asks about Jerusalem before they ask about the people. The text says he asks about the people, then about Jerusalem. Because the concern, the concern of Nehemiah was for the people. Because the concern of God is for people. I ask concerning the remnant. I'll tell you why, friends. If things are not well with the people, things will not be well with the city. What will make a difference in any city, in any church, in any home, is what's happening in people. What's happening with people. How people are responding to the experiences they go through in life. Priority. People. Follow Jesus. He goes into the temple. And his first concern is for people. A man with a withered hand. Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee. And his first concern was people. He saw, and we, we have the names. He saw Matthew. He saw Andrew. And he called them, follow me, people. Because in the econ economy of God, people are God's priority. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. When he saw the people, he was moved with compassion. But we're too much in a hurry to feel compassion for people. I, I had to fight against this a few weeks ago when I was in Belize. Because I saw people rushing in on me. We saw them in all kinds of situations that I never knew possible. And I had to fight. Help me, Lord. Help me to be sensitive in the midst of this crowded city. Not to lose the sight that there are people here who are lost without Christ. Who are lost without the knowledge of God. People who are hurting when I was a boy there, I never saw people begging. I really didn't. But they're all over the place now. Beggars. And I had to realize that these are people. 
Jesus saw people who were broken. I, I, I was... The worst place for you to go, please forgive me for this. The worst place for you to go to lose the sight of people is to go to government offices. <laughs> oh, man. And, 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 you know, those people are busy. And they have to put up with, with so much that really they come to the place where say, I can only take so much of all the garbage that people throw at me. So they don't know who is who. So when you go there, you've got to play it smart. You've got to behave yourself. Because they can become angry at you. I, I was... I am just about ready to lose my um, green card. Not because I'm in any trouble. But it expires on the 16th of February. Now I have been trying to get it renewed in the appropriate time. I sent it last year and they sent it back. And they said, you did not fill out section two properly. So I checked section two and I filled it out properly. I did. I sent it to them properly filled out. They said, you didn't. So I said, Winston, you need them. They don't need you. Fill it out again. But before I fill it out, I had to call the office. And this was fun. After two and a half days, I'm not exaggerating. After two and a half days, I finally got the UCIS office in Arizona. And I told them what had happened. <laughs> and they said, we'll have to, please wait. By the way, they told me that about three times a day before, please wait. And every time I waited, click. This time I was prepared just in case, but there wasn't a click. And, and the guy came and he asked me, I think, four questions. What's the, what's the, uh, the title of your, um, the number of your card? What is your father's name? What is your mother's name? What year were you born? And when I told him, he said, you can't be the man that fits this description. Click. <laughs> That's exactly, I'm telling you this has happened. Click. I thought, are you kidding me? Oh, man. So I called back about two hours later. No, I called another number that was given to me. And then I was called, told to call Homeland Security. <laughs> oh, man. Listen, in those moments, you fail to realize that you're dealing with people. And, and, and you would like to wring their necks. You would like to tell them, uh, like Wilma Flintstone said to Fred when he said, I'm going to go and give Mr. Slate a piece of my mind. She said, be careful, you don't have a whole lot to give. <laughs> P 
people. And my friends, we lose the sense that, that in their lostness, people do not always think logically. People do not see life the way you see it because you are now filled with God's Spirit. You are now a person of grace. You have what they don't have. And Titus reminds us, don't forget that you were once like them. And so Nehemiah said, how are the people? Because friends, may I say to you, the strongest witness of this congregation is what you are to people outside of this congregation. Never let it say, be said of you, and you call yourself a Christian? If they say it, let them have no grounds for saying it. Let them criticize your commitment to Christ. Let them criticize your commitment to love them, to serve them, but never let them criticize you for failing to see them as people. What was the purpose of his inquiry? He was inquiring because he was concerned. Please listen. Please listen. This is so important. The reason he asked about Jerusalem, Jerusalem is the city of God. It is the place where God has set his name. It is the city of purpose. That's the place where God is going to do things at the end of time. Jerusalem was the place where, where spiritual things took place. The promises of God were made concerning that city. And in the midst of what Nehemiah was doing for the king, he didn't lose sight of God's purposes for his people, the Jews, and the city that God has set his name upon. He didn't lose sight of it. There was still this spiritual awareness. Even though he was in a secular place, a religious place, he didn't lose the sense that he is still obligated to God in spite of what's going on around him, he still had this sense that God's purposes must be carried out. That's why he asked. I am always fascinated with the little story found in 2 Kings, chapter 5, verses 1 to 4. Naaman, the captain of the, of the, 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 the armies, captured a little girl took her from her city, made her the slave girl in their home. And Naaman, Naaman came down with leprosy. There was no cure for his leprosy. And this little maiden, working as a maid in Naaman's house, one day when she was cleaning... Perhaps Mrs. Naaman sighed and said, Oh, I wish there was a cure for my husband. He has been blessed with wisdom and the skill of a soldier, but everything has taken second place to his leprosy. And this little girl, she was, a, she was not yet 20 years old. When it says maiden, talking about someone who was innocent, and she said, how I wish that my master were in, where? Israel. 
because a man of God is there. When she was there, she had heard and perhaps seen the way in which Elijah was able to do God's work. And when she was taken from there, taken to a new place in a new environment, she did not forget the God who preserved her there and who put her in the, in the, in the home of, of, of a captain of the army so she could say, I can tell you of someone who can help you. See, that guy that clicked on me on the phone, I was in no mood to tell him anything. <laughs> See? In fact, as I think about it now, if I were to meet him, and I know I won't, I'd ask him, why did you do that? Can you give me one? I mean, I gave you all the information, and you did not even give me time to respond. I mean, click, that's it. Did I have a concern for him? And I mean this seriously, friends. Can I, can I behave like God because his spirit lives in me so that even when people are rude, I am polite, I am kind? That's what the scripture says we're to be. We're, be to, we're to be kind to one another. Kindness is a, last, a lost virtue in our time. We are so much in a hurry. We're so self-concerned that we have little time to be kind to others. It's almost a blessing when we see it. And what has happened to us is that the culture in which we live, the environment in which we live, somehow have squeezed out our spiritual life. You know, we were on our way here this morning on I-5 about a half a mile from, from where we were going to see a big accident, car on top, the four wheels up in the sky. And we just drove by I couldn't stop, we couldn't stop, because the police were driving us along, get going. But I couldn't help but think, I wonder if someone, if someone was in there, and if someone was in there, were they ready to die, because I'm quite sure they didn't live. That's this morning. Do we care? Do we have the mind of Christ when it comes to people. How did Nehemiah respond? How did he respond? Verses 4 to 7. I call this his enterprise. He internalized the information. What I mean by that, he said, as I allowed the information to settle in my mind, I just did not dismiss it. I just didn't say, well, that's life. He said, when I heard it, when I heard it, I sat down and I wept for days. In other words, he, take, he took time off his job to deal with things that were eternal. 
For days I was off the job because I was, I was grieving over what I heard. I was fasting and I was praying before God. The response, my friends, was that he didn't simply ask the question. There was a purpose in asking. How are they? And when he heard it, he was driven, driven. Someone has put it this way. You will never know how to feel for people until you feel the weight of their own burden. You will never know how to feel for people until you feel the weight of their burden. Have you ever asked yourself the question? I, I, look, I look at people, young and old, rich and poor, and you go into some of their history, and you go into some of the history, you hear about the things that shaped their lives so that a boy who was, who was born in a nice home, lived in the suburbs, lived with his parents, something happened in his home, affected him to the place where he decided this is not working. He goes out, he gets into trouble, he begins to smoke joint, he begins to get into crime. Let, let, me, let, me, let me tell you, friends, I'm not talking about something that is far removed from our experience. Lois and I have a nephew. He's in some prison in California right now from a wonderful home. And what the question is, what happened in his home that drove him away from his father's God? We don't know. Do we feel the weight? The weight that that boy must be carrying that drove him to where he is this morning. I have a friend up in Toronto. Beautiful family. The girls graduated with my, with my girl. And when those girls graduated from this wonderful home, 25, 30, 30 years ago, they stopped talking to their parents up to this day. I don't know why. I've met with them, talked with them, but did I feel the weight, the weight the parents must be carrying because of the way they're treated by their daughter, the weight the daughters must be carrying because of what may have happened in the home. Do we feel the weight? Only when we feel the weight, my friends, will we be willing to do what Nehemiah did, and that is go to God with it. Because only God is big enough for it. Only God is big enough for it. Jesus did the same thing when he saw the multitude. He saw them, and the scripture says, he felt compassion. You know what the word felt comes from a, the, 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 the word bowel. That meant he felt it in, inside, inside. 
What happened to our Lord was that he felt the pressure of people without hope and without God in this world. My friends, this is what our prayer time is going to be. You see, this is what Nehemiah did. He didn't try to philosophize what had happened. The failures of the people to keep the walls up, the gate up. There's only one response. There are four things I noted about Nehemiah, and I close with this. Number one, his priority was to go to God. It was not an afterthought. His priority was to go to God. It was not an afterthought. I don't know how many of you were at the service last Sunday night at the River Center. But the, the, the pastors from Roseburg, when asked, what can the, the pastors in Salem, uh, in, in Lebanon do? We have not faced anything like that. But in the event that we do, what, what, how can we prepare ourselves for this? And I was struck by the answer. To a man, every pastor in Roseburg said, the way that the pastors will, will prepare themselves for something like this is that they get to know one another before something like this happens. Get to know one another before something like this happens. Because if you get to know one another, you will know the burden the reason we responded this way, and each of those men said they were doing something else, and as soon as they got the word, in fact, one of them said an interesting thing about the age in which we're living. Almost to a man, they said, each of them, we heard about this from people living outside Roseburg before we knew about it in Roseburg. My brother called me from California, and this one called from somewhere else. That's how fast news traveled. But by the time they got to the center of the action. They were able to come together in such a way that ministry took place then. They were not getting to know one another in the midst of the catastrophe. They knew one another, and so they worked with one another because they had gotten to know one another. And this is how it will happen with us. Prayer must become a priority, not an afterthought. We'll be using the prayer of Nehemiah for this week's prayer time. Two, it was objective, not subjective. Listen to what he did. He addressed God. Oh, God. That word, oh, is in, in, in the Hebrew, is, is to feel something coming from outside of you going, inside of you going out of you. He was, he was, he was, he was not playing games with God. He was not praying, first of all, for this or that. He looked to God and he poured his heart out to God. It was a prayer of defense, not of defiance. Look at what he says. We have, we have not been faithful to you, God. We're not saying that our prayerlessness leads to this, but because we're prayerless, we don't know how to deal with it. It was a prayer of dependence. We'll go through that next week. It was a prayer of confession, not criticism. Verses 6 and 7. We have sinned against you. 
And how often, friends, how often our prayers always begin with what we need or what someone else needs, but scarcely do we begin our prayers with confession, with a sense of brokenness, with a sense of heaviness, because we are living in a world of people who are broken, who are hopeless, who are hurting. We're living with an environment of confusion. We're living in in a, you know, I said I wasn't, I wasn't going to say anything about this, and I, I don't mean it in a re- negative way at all. I really don't. <laughs> I was listening, the little time I had to listen to the radio yesterday because I was quite busy, I turned to the sports station, and they were telling about the preparation, the preparation that is being made right now for Super Bowl Sunday. The preparations that are being made for Super Bowl Sunday. Now, I have nothing against the Super Bowl, to be sure. It's not a Canadian team, so why do I worry? But I thought... There was a day when Sunday was called the Lord's Day. It was called the Lord's Day. And now we have different adjectives that we use. I'm not saying, my friends, anything against the Super Bowl, but I'm going to ask you a question. Will you make preparations for the Lord's Day next week? For the Lord's Week next week? You see, Nehemiah, in that environment, was still able to keep a spiritual perspective alive. Somehow he was able to feel with God's heart what God was feeling for the people. And please listen to me, friends. May I say it very gently, that the heart of God is breaking for broken people in our world. And he's not going to send angels to take care of the matter. He's not going to send seraphim to take care of the matter. He's going to send you. He's going to send me. And if it's only by prayer that we begin, that is the right place to start. I invite you next week to come and to pray. I hope I didn't sound like scolding because that is not my intention at all, but to encourage you that if we want to see change in Sodaville, change in Lebanon, change in Albany, change in, in, in Oregon. It must begin where Nehemiah began, that is, seeking God. I invite you to join us next week. Let us pray. Father, please remind us this morning that you have given us great and precious promises that by these promises we might become partakers of the divine nature. That when Jesus told his disciples to pray, they saw his life as a a life of prayer. When that little girl was in the midst of an environment that had taken her away from her home, she still kept a spiritual perspective and realize that God can do things there that he was not allowed to do here. And so I pray, Father, for each one whose head is bowed right now, 
praying that you might grant to us the heart of God to care like God cares, to prioritize our lives so that prayer is not an afterthought, it is a priority. That people are not tools to be used for our goals, but lies for whom Jesus Christ died. Father, awaken us to this great need, we pray. And next week as we come to pray, may we come because we have prepared ourselves to seek God, to ask of God, to obey God, and to stand back and see the salvation of God. In Jesus' name, amen.